the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, this is the Live Big Broadcast with Derek Greer. Today we will hear a classic message from our archives that we believe will be a blessing to you and give you principles to live big in Christ. Let's join Bishop Greer for this classic teaching as we continue our previous broadcast. But in order for Jesus to step into true power, he had to go through a dry season. And I'm saying this, don't be surprised by your dry season. Don't be surprised when the the devil shows up in your weakness and and your frailty and and he's in your ear. No, that's part of the process. But if you choose God in the midst of that, you will experience the same thing Jesus experienced. He left there in the power of the Spirit. Verse 16. So then he came to Nazareth, which was his hometown, where he'd been brought up. Watch this. And as his custom was, what's a custom? Something ordinarily done. Is that what a custom is? This means Jesus went to church regularly. If you're a follower of Christ, I mean, really a follower of Christ, what you got? You're going to come to church regularly. But, but you got to understand what's happening here with Jesus. I've said this before. Don't tune me out. Here's Jesus. He's not only, he not only understands every line in the book, he's the embodiment of every line in the book. But for 30 years, he goes to a church where he preaches better than the rabbi. He goes to the church and listens to preaching that he knows better than. For 30 years, he disciplines himself and serves in the body. Some people have one point they disagree with. I ain't never going back there. Do you know the same Jesus I know? And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He regularly went to God's house. And he stood up to read. Some scholars say that all Jesus did from... His bar mitzvah uh, to the time of his ministry was read in the synagogue. Imagine the discipline it took to, to open your mouth to read the words, but never explain it. And watch the guy come up after you mess the whole thing up. But you just The self-possession of Jesus, the discipline of Jesus. Some of us, we can't keep our mouth shut. <laughs> You just got a nickel of a, of, of a dollar's worth of common sense and you got to tell the whole world. Oh, you got, you got to put your five cent on everything. But Jesus, the discipline, imagine preaching. I mean, listen, you're the best preacher. You are preaching. You are preaching. And you're quiet. I know some preachers that can't serve in a church for a year because I got to go and do my calling. Gee, 30 years. All right, I'm done meddling. 
verse 17. You're a little warmer than the first service. Thank you. And he was handed the book of Isaiah, meaning the pastor gave him the assignment. Imagine you being God. And some rabbi tell you what you're about to preach. But fortunately, the rabbi got it right because the text here is appropriate. And when he had opened the book, and this is what we need more of. Stop putting your Bible just on the shelf. Open it. Read it. Okay. If you want to be like Jesus, he, he read the thing. And he found the place where it was what? Written. You know, the scrolls were extremely expensive. Most people, they were kept in a synagogue. People didn't typically have copies in their house. Which meant Jesus in his private time probably went to synagogue to read. Meaning he became familiar enough with the scripture to be able to find its place in the Bible. And if Jesus was reading the Bible, finding places, how much more do you and I need to be able to do the same? And when he found the place that the rabbi or the pastor had told him to, to read, he read. And he said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, when Jesus spoke this scripture and he was in the fullness of his time and in his, his messianic moment, I'm sure his eyes were dancing. I'm sure there was an authority and a, a sense of destiny and purpose in his voice that that little synagogue had never heard before. And when he was speaking, I believe he was, he was saying as if it related to him all, all, all the time, though he was, he was reading. But, but I want you to notice in this statement, it said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, speaking of the Messiah, speaking of Jesus. Though he was the Son of God, he never used his power apart from union with the Holy Spirit. Never. You see, many of us can do things in our own strength. That's your problem. See, that, that was my problem. You know, I, I, I was in this, uh, the clock doesn't stop beating me up, but I was in this session and this guy was known to be a prophetic type guy and he, he, was, he was teaching the class and he stopped the class to pick on me and that happens a lot. So you know what your problem is? I said, okay. He said, I hope this doesn't sound self-serving, I'm just repeating the story. He said, you can do too many things well. And that was my problem. See, I had all these other options. I didn't need ministry. I didn't need God to supply my need. I knew how to write a business plan. I didn't need that. No, no, I, that, leave that for them. But that was my problem. And sometimes our problems, we too strong. That's why the Bible said not, not many noble, not many wise. Because the wise and the noble doing it in their own strength. So what God did in his wisdom, you know, every other woman I got in my life, I got by my own strength. But then God gave me a woman I couldn't keep by my own strength. God knows how to deal with you. And I was pulling the hair, well, I had hair back then, out of my head trying to figure, God, why? I mean, the other girl, they just do what I say and you give me this one. <laughs> but the way to the promised land is through the desert. And we had some dry years. But let me tell you something, it was well worth the wait. You hear what I'm saying? It was well worth the journey. But what Jesus said, now Jesus could have just said, well, I'm Jesus, I'm going to do what I want. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed, he, he has anointed me. He only operated in unity with the Spirit of God. And he's the pattern son, so if that's true for the son, how much more for us little sons and daughters of God? Should we do everything in cooperation and union with the Spirit of the living God? Because he has anointed me. And what he's doing here, and I'm going to read through this quickly. Isaiah had prophesied about the anointing that would be on the Messiah 700 years before it occurred. 
And uh, uh, he listed seven things, and six of these seven things came to pass as Jesus fulfilled his earthly ministry. Only one did not. And the last one that did not come to pass will not come to pass till Christ returns. And thank God for that. And the last point of the anointing, the Bible said, is to perform vengeance on God's enemies. Thank God he came as a savior and not stomping out the grace of wrath at that first visit. You hear what I'm saying? He gave us space and time. But every other part of the anointing has been fulfilled in his life. But let's read through, through them uh, quickly. Number one, the purpose of the anointing was to preach the good news to the who? Poor. What's good news to the poor? You don't have to be poor anymore. That's good news. Poor people, they don't want medicine. They, they, they want to get over their poverty. And Jesus came. And by the way, if you're in a setting where poverty is the ideal for everybody in the room, that's not an anointed place, according to Scripture. To preach good news. I know that went over not too good. To the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted. The anointing's designed to encourage hurting people like you and I. It's designed to be a solve and, 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 and to, to help. Three, to proclaim liberty to to captives that you know it, it comes to free us from our captivity of sin we don't have to sin like we used to we can begin to do what we want to do and recovery of sight to the blind jesus did open natural eyes but most importantly he opens the eyes of our understanding and the the, the anointing of god will open the eyes of our our understanding and and we need more preaching that we can understand and, and, and in order to, to grow stronger number five to set at liberty those who have been what oppressed Something about people with voices in their heads. And, and all of us have that. It's a voice telling you that you can't do and you're not that and, and all that. People with burdens on their body. He wanted to give them an opportunity to experience freedom. Number six. I like this one the best. And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This acceptable year of the Lord was literally the Jewish jubilee. It was the year when all past debts were forgiven. And the Holy Spirit, his anointing is here, is to break us of our despair over all our past failings, all our past debts. He wants to come and say, hey, you are washed. You are, I give you a clean slate. You can start over again. That's what the anointing comes to say and comes to do. Verse 20. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant. And then he says something that will strike us strange. And he sat down. For most of us, we would think that meant he just went back into the crowd. But, you know, in the ancient world, amongst the, the Jewish people, they, they ministered differently. The rabbi didn't stand to preach like I'm doing. They sat to preach. So what, what had happened in this setting, Jesus, the, the place you read from, was not very far. It was just a matter of feet from the rabbi's seat. So he had read probably like he had always read. But for the first time, Jesus sat in a rabbi's chair. And when it happened, eyes got big. Oh, what's Jesus doing now? Now, now you're doing some good reading and everything, but, but, uh, uh, what, 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 uh, and this is why it says this, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed. What's he going to do on him? And again, all these years he had only read discipline, but now for the first time in the fullness of time, he's about to preach. And he began to say to them today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What he was saying was that the boy that lived down the street, the boy that played hacky sack with your kids, the, the boy that would, would go and cut your grass and shovel your driveway was the Messiah all the time. 
And people, though, I, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised. At first, the Bible said all bore witness to him. Everybody got excited. Church lady ran down the aisle. She started shouting and dancing, hallelujah. And it was on because a small boy made good. A small town boy made good. And everybody was, was excited. They, they knew his background. They knew his limited education, his socioeconomic level. He's from Nazareth. And, and he's, he's talking with such confidence, such boldness and, and eloquence. He's bright. And, and they were proud for a second. But then they started thinking about it. In just a few moments, it flipped. And this is what will happen with people, man. They love you one minute. I'm not talking about you as a person next to you. They love you one minute. They just flip. In one minute, they're, they're admiring him. The next is disbelief and incredulity. And everybody's up, upset. And they said, isn't it Joseph's son? You know, our, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our, our closest people in our lives can sometimes become our worst critics. Why? Because most people don't have an imagination large enough to believe you could do anything good because they know your past so well. And Jesus said, verse 24, let's, let's skip here. He responds. Assuredly, you see the confidence of this boy? I say to you, you if you're going to go anywhere in life, you have to learn to answer your critics. Jesus answered his critics. And and I have found with, with, with me, if, if someone kind of pushes me a little soft like that, I'll give them a little soft answer. But they push me like that, I'll give them a little rougher answer. But then they go to kick and I, I, you know, I might release some things. You hear what I'm saying? And, and, and Jesus here, but I mean the righteous things, you know, for the most part. Every now and then. So he looked at them and he rebukes them. He says, no prophet is accepted in his own country. You see, it wasn't Jesus who rejected his people. It was his people who rejected Jesus. You know, Aesop got it right. Familiarity breeds contempt. And this was the case. People had Jesus in a box and they refused to let him out. And many people in our lives will have us in a box and they'll go nuts before we can get free. But I want you to watch here how Jesus handles this situation. And I'm not just talking about what people do to us, also what we do to people. You hear me? I don't know why I'm going here, but I I was told I wouldn't succeed as a pastor uh, because I'm too conversational. Because I like to talk to people. I feel like I said this before, but it's just coming to my heart. Because I like to make sense. Is I wouldn't succeed because, you know, people come to church to be excited, not to learn. But the last I checked, that's why we go to drug dealers. We go to the guy on the corner, make me feel good, here's $20. But what's interesting, when the high is over, your life is the same. Church... I'm not interested in getting my preach on. I'm interested in changing your life. I'm interested in giving you some information from God's word to cause you to see things differently, do things differently, live differently. You hear me? So, so bear with me. 
even though you can understand every word I'm saying. I'm sorry. I've been traveling all week and I think I'm tired. I think that's what's happening. Verse 28. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. How dare you lecture us? You know, I knew you from back when. But here's the thing. They let their history with God get in the way of their future with God. You got to be careful. Don't put God in the box. And what God might do one day, he might not do the same the next. He might have been quiet, yeah, for, for the first 30 years of your life, but, but this is a different season. And when the season changes, you might see a different side of God. Not that God changed, but just his, his season of, of, of expressing himself is a little bit different. So when the fullness of time came, Jesus started teaching and preaching and commenting and and for them, it's like that boy was a lot more quiet before. And he used to mind his business a little bit better. And he never spoke to me that way before. And they got angry. Verse 29. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city. Here's the thing. Small minds do not accept big things. So stop fighting with them. Just, 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 just let it be. Their attitude is, okay, you think you're all that now. And that's often what happens when we get too familiar with people and miss the God in them. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which the city was built, that they might throw him down off the cliff. How many of you think that's a disproportional response? Just because you didn't like what he was saying? But church folk are that way. You can say the smallest thing. Oh, you remember, I go out, I, I've gone out here with my, I'm not going to give you ideas, so I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> but the smallest thing. In the first service, the, the church just looked at me, but when I came back, uh, when I, I shared this, you know, I, I was watching this thing with Eric Garner on TV. I was like, dang. You know, they may not have liked what he was saying, but it don't get nobody right to kill him. It was a totally disproportional response. I know he's not Jesus and all that, but it just fits here, and I, I just feel like getting it off my chest. It was disproportional. And here, they're over-responding. They're over-reacting, and, 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 and they're about to kill the Messiah over something minor. But watch this, verse 30, and this is my whole point today. Then passing through the midst of them, now, when you look at the text, there's no hint of a miracle. I know that people want to, you know, surmise it with one, but there was no miracle. There was no sudden blindness that fell on the people. I think the Bible would have recorded that. I don't think Jesus became invisible. I think the Bible would have recorded that. But somehow, this man... I mean, people are enraged, small-minded people in small-town mad, and that's a different type of mad. And they're trying to kill him. And he just passes through the midst of them. So I was looking at the text, I, I began to ask, I said, Lord, what, what happened? I mean, I, I, and I can't say he spoke to me, but, but let me tell you what my conclusion is. I think it was Jesus' self-possession. 
I think while they were grabbing at him, cussing at him, kicking at him, and, and talking ugly about him, I think the moral power of a fearless life showed all over his face. He, he, he didn't respond in kind. He didn't react in kind. As they took him, he didn't flinch. He didn't run. He didn't. He was just Jesus. And I believe that as they were trying to throw him down off the cliff, I know this is my belief, but it's my sermon. As they threw him down, and by the way, they threw you down to the cliff because it wasn't that the cliff was going to kill him. They throw you down to a lower place to stone you. So they were planning to stone him. But I think in the midst of that, Jesus got a look on his face. But, but you know, anger stokes anger. And, you know, the more, you know, you escalate than the other person, you keep escalating. But there was a peace, there was a shine, and then there was a look on his face. A look saying, I ain't mad at you. A look saying, I I love you anyway. A look saying, I ain't afraid of you though. A look saying, you ain't giving me this life, you can't take it. A look of absolute confidence. And I think that look, he went from eye to eye. I know it's my sermon, but eye to eye. And when they saw that look, they backed up. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. When people try to throw you off the cliff. (laughs) Oh, you know what I'm saying? You know, you know what I'm saying? Ain't no kind look. Ain't no I love you. Ain't no I'm for you. Mealy flesh. And for those of you that even don't know, don't know, no, no, shut up, What was that? Y'all don't know this, but out of my window, and I'm through just about, I could look in the parking lot, you know, from my office. So every now and then I'm in my chair, watching people leave, watching people come. And almost every other Sunday, invariably, I see somebody. I don't have to hear nothing. And I could swear one Sunday, a woman looked like Linda Blair, her head completely around, and then in the same rhythm and beat, she got back to it, the hands were... I am making a point here. When people, you know, trying to throw us off a cliff, we have a way of reacting. But not Jesus. He just handled himself. Now, you know, there is a place, you know, to say some things. But, but, but Jesus wouldn't let these small people bring him down to their level. And, and you got to learn... I feel like I'm preaching to myself. You, you, you got to learn to stop letting people bring you down to their level. Give me a few more minutes. There's this guy, he's on radio. He's all over the nation, on TV too. 
And he was having some problems. People were picking on him, saying some things about him. And this guy has a mouth, too. And he went to his pastor and said, you know, pastor, you know, I, I plan to blow this person up. I'm, I'm going to say some things and I'm going to get on radio and on TV and I'm, I'm going to do this thing. His pastor looked at him. He said, uh, have you ever noticed that kings don't swat their own flies? All the king does is sit on the throne. His attendants will swat the fly. We'll deal with it. But, but here's the deal. The reason why we're so exhausted, we say we're kings and priests, but we're not. We flatten swats, we end up coming into the church, flattening and in the car, flattening and swatting all your fly, dealing with all these interesting bad people. I'm tired of these people. I'm going to get these people. I'm swatting the bus. You ain't talking to me that way. You ain't talking to me. I'm tired of you. You know what Swatting flies. And then the worst of team try to lift hands, you're like, but passing through the midst of them you know I I get it I'm just talking now I'm probably going to get in trouble by the time I finish people coming out you don't know where I'm from pastor I want to say you don't know where I'm from (laughs) but that's the problem You, 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 you keep reverting to the south side of Philadelphia. This has been a classic message from Bishop Derek Greer. We pray that God's word has equipped you to think big, do big, and live big in a way that your life overflows and blesses those around you. If you want to learn more about becoming a Christian or you feel that you need to rededicate your life to Christ, we want to walk you through the steps to do so. Go to gracechurchva.org salvation to find out more and watch videos from Bishop Greer that will guide you into your life in Christ. Again, that's gracechurchva.org salvation. We invite you to worship with us online each Sunday on our YouTube channel at gracechurchva.tv. While you're there, remember to subscribe and hit the notification bell to get all of our latest content. That's our time for today. Until next time, remember... You have what it takes in Christ to live big. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.